for the Sunday school class today because Pastor Eric and Shelly are still in Israel for their last 24 hours. It's really cool. Do you have that picture? Do you have that picture that I sent you, uh, Kayla? I don't know if you got that, but this, uh, I've got this um, text thread going on with my whole family. My parents set it up and it, it goes off like it alerts like every 15 minutes with some new picture of Israel. Just boom, 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 boom. It's, yeah, we're on the tour as well. It was pretty cool. They were, you don't have it or is it, is it good? No worries, no worries. We can, we can show it later. I'll show it later. But they're at the Western Wall t- this morning, which was pretty, pretty incredible. But anyway, th- for those of us that are here and not in Israel, we're going to continue this Sunday School series today. So it is about the walk, measuring our walk. So find Ephesians chapter 4 in your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 4. And really the theme verse for the the study, and I think it was he just began it last week, so we're really just in week number two here. The theme verse is really Ephesians chapter four and verse number one. Ephesians four and verse one says this I therefore the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye were called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you'd help us this morning as we look at these principles, and I pray that this lesson would be beneficial for all of us. Lord, we need your help. I need your help to speak, and then we as a church, we need your help to listen and allow the Word of God to speak to us. So please help us. uh, Be with us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In verse number one, uh, Ephesians chapter four, that phrase he says, I beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Now, that word vocation, what comes to mind when you see that word vocation? Job, Job right? Anything else comes to mind? I mean, that was the first thing that came to my mind, obviously, job. I think that the word here is encompassing a little bit more than that, though, right? I don't think it's less than that, but I think it's more than that. When he says walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Any thoughts on that? What is, what are we, at, at the heart of that, what do you think? I think there's more to it. Again, I don't think job is incorrect, but I think it's, it's more than that. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're on, you're on to that there. Any, any, anybody else, thoughts on that? Yep. Yeah, what we're going to say. Yeah, so this, keep in mind, the book of Ephesians, who is this written to? Who is it written to? Because it's always important to keep this in context. The book of Ephesians is written to the church at Ephesus. So just imagine a gathering of believers in the city of Ephesus, and they're reading this, they're reading this letter 
that Paul has written. Some of Paul's letters are to individuals, but the, this epistle is written to the group. And he says, I beseech ye. It's a, it's a plural pronoun. In other words, you all, I beseech all of you, that all of you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. So how many people have a, have a vocational calling? Everybody does. Everybody does. So when we think of that, I think it encompasses, it, yes, it certainly encompasses the job that you're working, but I think it encompasses more. It's the, the, the place that you're at, like Terry said, the place that you're at in your life, the situation, the circumstance that you find yourself in. If you're being obedient to God's will and you're finding his direction, you have this vocational calling in your life. And it's different at different stages in life, right? So when you're a child, your vocation is to be a godly child and your children obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. But then you progress through adulthood. It's interesting when you're in, um, I used to view a lot of, you know, when I was younger, I always wanted to move on to the next stage of life. How many of you, was anybody like that in here? You always wanted to just move on to the next stage of life. Ready to get done with this stage and then go to college and then I had a really hard time in college. I always was like, all right, I just want to get, it was something that I had to get through in my experience. But then looking back, I realized, I have to realize, wait a minute, that was God's position for me at that moment in my life. That was God's calling in my life. When my wife and I were dating before we got married, like I just wanted to get to the wedding, amen? I just wanted to get there, right? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But at the same time, at the moment, my calling, vocationally, if you will, in all the facets of my life was to be a godly, first a godly boyfriend and fiance, whatever. Um, and now, my vocation. If you were to list, let me ask you this. If we're thinking of vocation as, you know, the, the place in life that God has called you, what are the components? Let me ask you this. What are the components to your vocation right now? If you could think of it in main, large spheres, if you could break your life down into concentric circles or spheres, thinking of this vocational calling that we have, how would you describe your life? Who would like to do it? Anybody want to try? How would you describe? All right, we'll start with Patrick. Go ahead, give me your... So husband, father, employee, leader. Okay, very good. Somebody else, give me your, your vocational position. Yes. Basically what, what Patrick said, but... I well, let's personalize it. Okay, I'm just going to say, for me, it would have been a, after I got saved is when I would start it. Yes. Um, I, uh, well, obviously, this to be a parent, to be a leader, <clears throat> but then as my kids grew, I needed to be a good in-law, I needed to be a good grandmother, mm. and now I need to also be a good great grandmother. And um, of course, I had all the working years and, and stuff like that, which I heard you said. And right now, I'm, I'm still under the same one to, for my for my children. I still need to be an example, right. you know. So that's part of my vocation. And, for and you never stop being a mother, right? <laughs> that's it. And you never. And I still have, you know grandchildren, great grandchildren, right. and the, the opportunity to have many more. So these are real identity markers in our life. Charlie. With apologies to Oz Guinness at the center of your 
concentric circles is your calling to follow Christ. Right, right. So, so I think if you, were to, if you were to create these circles, what is that called when circles overlap? That's a Venn diagram. Is that what that is, a Venn diagram? So you're much smarter than me, so you're, you're like right on it. So the big circle in the middle is the ultimate calling. So I'm putting right in there, and use different ways of describing it, but disciple of Christ or child of God. So at the core of my, at the, at the center of the circle is our relationship with God, number one. And then all the circles that make it up are different. They're, they're calling specific, right? Anybody else want to try one? Because we're getting, what, how, would you, how would you view your life? Let's go, go ahead, uh, Mike, first. Yeah, that's good. Something else, yeah, Terry. Um, my faith. Yep. Um, me, personally, my self-care, my uh, being a father, grandfather, friends. Right. And then just and then from there on, it's just you know a little bit of everything working. Right. And there are some that are fixed, never going to change, right? A relationship to God, that's a, that's a fixed component to my calling, right? Another fixed component to my calling is, uh, is husband to Deborah, as long as we both shall live. That's a, a fixed, it's not necessarily permanent, but it's fixed, right? Father to Gideon, Anna Joy, Nehemiah, and Graceland. You know, pastor, Mount Greylake Baptist Church employee at Yankee home. These are all, this is, this is, these are not things, they should not be things that I have called into my life, but these are places that God has called me. Okay? Now, when we think about this, when we think about the, and this, this study is, this series is from a really good book called The Walk, and this opening statement comes right from the book. Have you ever wondered why you are here in this world or what life is all about? Sometimes we get so busy carrying out the responsibilities and routines of life, we often forget to ask these questions. And so we just did a little checkup, right, as far as what the purpose is. Life is not a series of haphazard events, relationships, or accidents. God has a plan for our lives. Are we experiencing it? But there was one major component of our life that we missed. I didn't hear anybody say it yet. And it is a fixed component of every life of a Christian. And it happens to be the theme of the study today. And nobody said it. What's that? Church member. A, a member of a New Testament local church. There are, there are only a few institutions, a few callings that are specifically mentioned in the Bible. Okay? The first institution that God created was what? Some of you know it. The very first institution that God created in Genesis chapter 1 is what? Marriage. It's, yeah. 
marriage in the home. The purpose of marriage is this is the, the nurturing and raising of children. It doesn't mean that every marriage will be able to do that, but in principle, that's what a marriage is, which is why, despite what our government is trying to do right now, you can't redefine marriage because it's a specific institution created by God. We, it's, not an in, it's not a sociological invention. It's something that God has created. It cannot be redefined. So the first major institution is marriage. The second institution you'll find is... Does anybody know what it is? It's not the church. That's a good, that's a good guess, though. The second institution is civil government. You see in Genesis chapter 9, God establishes civil government. And then the third has changed. In the Old Testament, there was an, the identity of the people of God and the nation of Israel. But in the New Testament, what is the third institution that God has created? The local church. It's a local church. Everything in the New Testament happens in the, with the local church in the background. The local church is the assumption of the entire New Testament. You'll find the letters in the, that the apostles wrote, Almost all of them were written, not, not all of them, but almost all of them were written either to local churches to be read in their assembled gatherings, which is why, by the way, we continue to do that today. There was, a first, there was one church that was the first one to ever read the epistle to the Ephesians, the Ephesian church, but we continue to do that to this very day. We read the, the letters to the churches. So every, every epistle you read was either written to a local church or a group of local churches, or was written to a leader of a local church. Paul would say to Timothy, here's how you're supposed to behave. Here's how you should teach people to behave in the church. Here's how you are to conduct the local church. So as we think about that Venn diagram, okay, and I'm not, I don't want to be judgmental of anyone in here, right? So, however, it is interesting that nobody, when you mentioned, when we mentioned family, relationship with God, work, that membership in the local church did not come up in anybody's list so far. Now, that doesn't mean that you're a terrible Christian, you failed the test, it was a trick, I set you up, you know, how bad. Some of you would be like, oh, I counted that in the God part in the middle. Okay, that, that's cool. However, we, are, we do live in a time, we live in a day where loyalty to the local church is, has fallen on hard times, has fallen on very hard times. In fact, what is the difference? In fact, I had this conversation with a group of, a, a good group of Christians the other day. We were talking about this. They, none of them members of this church. And um, we we're talking about the importance of the local, of the local church. And the point came up, somebody, somebody could say, well, what if, what if me and a friend of mine, we sit down in our home and we watch Charles Stanley on television? Or we watch, you know, I know for the younger people, that's, he's not the most popular uh, teacher these days. But, but what's the difference if we just sit down and we just watch that? Isn't that a church? I mean, there's two or three that are gathered together. Is that a church? 
Yes or no? Yes. No. 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 It's not a church. Now, it could be a, a fellowship of believers that are happy to be, but it's not a church. It's missing the key components of a local church. What are some of those key components of a local church? Yep. The, the connection. Okay. Connection in the sense of, well, they have some form of connection, don't they? But in the local church, the local church was, was designated to have an accountable connection. You study in the book of 1 Corinthians that when Christians weren't behaving properly, that local church had authority as a group of believers to either accept, accept someone into their body or to reject someone from their body. There's an, there's a, an accountability that's missing. That's a missing. What else is a missing ingredient of the local church? In that scenario of two people, two friends just getting together, watching or listening to a message online or something. What else is missing? Why is that not a church? Yes, sir. There's no leadership. Okay. Now, the Bible specifies there are two types of leaders in the local church. What are those positions? There's two positions of authority in the church. What are they? Pastors and deacons. The word pastor, or you'll also hear elder, those are used interchangeably. Elders or pastors. The Bible doesn't give a set number on how many pastors or how many elders or how many deacons. It just simply says that there are authority positions in the local church. Those are not present just with two Christians gathered together. In fact, the one scripture that's not on here and I want to, is Hebrews. In fact, if you want to check this out really quick. Um, in fact, I need to look at my apologies. Hebrews chapter 12, believe. Huh? Would it be 11 to? What is 11 to? I'm sorry? No, 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 no. Hang on. I just, uh, um, I know the verse. Okay, Hebrews 13. Go to th Hebrews 13 and verse 17. Look at this. Hebrews 13 and verse number 17. Okay. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourself. Why? For they what? They watch for your souls as they that must what? Give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief for that is unprofitable for you. God has put two, two layers of authority in our life. First of all, we have the congregational authority. That's the authority of the body gathered together that God has given his church, his people, the pillar and ground of the truth. And then we have the, love, the, the pastors and teachers. In fact, go with me back to Ephesians now, and let's look at this really quickly. Back to Ephesians, our original passage. But did you see, as you turn back there, did you see this, this principle that there's, the point of the leadership is that the leadership has to give account for the souls 
of the, of the people. And so these things are not present in the, in, if in somebody say, hey, well, I'm just gathering with my friend. Is that a church? No, it's not a church because it doesn't meet those qualifications. Also, Ephesians chapter 4, and let's, let's look at this. Skip down to verse number 11. Ephesians 4 and verse number 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slate of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lay in wait, lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Do you see the togetherness aspect of this? That, the, that Christians are not rogue. They're not on their own, but they're called into the body. Now, let me ask you this question. This is another tricky one. Is the church, or here referred to as the body of Christ, is it universal, covering all believers that have ever lived, or is it local? In Ephesians chapter 4, what did you have to say, Cal? Cal answered the question, yes. And I think he's absolutely right. You say, what do you mean? It is both. It is both. As you read the descriptions of the church in the New Testament, you will find descriptions that are so amazing, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, right? You'll find descriptions that are so amazing that any one particular body of believers fit locally is not able to express at all. In fact, all believers are gathered, to, are part of that universal church that will be gathered in heaven. But then you'll find other descriptions of the church, even in this, even in this passage and the others we've looked at, that cannot be expressed except in the local body of Christ. Such as what? Such as what? Yeah. So, in what way? What do you mean? Both. Some have eyes, and some are ears, and some are feet. But when you're talking about, you know, the gifts that have been given, they obviously fit together in a local church context to work together as a one unit. Correct. Because if my arm is with my body sometimes, but then it's over here, because the body is supposed to be strengthening each other, edifying itself in love. But if I'm just rogue and independent, I go over here, it's meant to be expressed in the local church. What else that we've discussed can only be exhibited in the local church? The authority, yeah. 
as giving account to those who are in authority can only be expressed. That's a great point, actually. Why did the Apostle Paul have authority over many churches? Because he was an apostle. Because he carried the apostolic office. In carrying that apostolic office, he has authority. The apostles were designated. In fact, you'd find, um, let me give you a reference for that, actually. You look it up. The question is, who gets to be an apostle? There are some, um, there are some denominations that carry on the apostleship, and they will designate apostles as having authority over other churches, or bishops, or whatever their, their denomination is. Historically, Baptists have believed in the autonomy of the local church. We believe that's biblical, that a local church's authority, that Christ is the head of the church, and he sets up local authority in those churches. So, hang on, let me find the reference about why Paul would have had that authority. It wasn't just Paul. It's actually here in the book of Ephesians. If you skip back to chapter 2, Ephesians 2, Nineteen. So the apostles carry authority over, I would say, the universal church. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built. What is the uh, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. The foundation of the church, the foundation of the church, Jesus Christ, obviously, he delegated that authority and that power to his apostles, the 12 chosen apostles. They are sent. Paul, in fact, defends his apostleship throughout the New Testament. When that, then there's the prophetic foundation. So in your New Testament, what you have in the canon of Scripture is the apostolic and prophetic teaching that was given to us. That is the foundation of the church. If the prophetic, if, if the, um, and again, there are some false teachers like the, the, um, the Mormon church or even the Roman Catholic church that would teach that somebody else has received that gift of apostleship or authority. And then they give new prophetic utterances that we've found obviously contradict the scriptures. So the apostles are the apostles. So that's what I would say about the, uh, the Paul's authority over the churches. I don't know of any other scenario where anybody without a prophetic, without an apostolic, um, so like the apostles would sometimes send people on their behalf, like Timothy was sent on behalf of the apostle Paul. I can't think of any other instance where anybody has authority over, over churches than the, the apostles. Okay? Um, so, what you have are these, is this importance of the local gathering of believers. Other scriptures, again, you can find nuggets all throughout the New Testament. We don't have time to look at every single one of them. Let's look at a couple of things, though, here in the book of Ephesians. So, 
back to, um, we saw Ephesians 4.16 on the front of your handout, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. So every part needs to be engaged. Every part needs to be plugged in. Like Patrick was saying, the, the hand, the, the, the foot, the eye. People, what people don't often realize is if they are not functioning properly, the body suffers. Okay? Now, Hebrews 10, 23 to 25 is also on your handout. Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye say, see the day approaching. That verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, I've seen that translated, and I, I like the statement, don't stop meeting together. That's the thrust of the passage. Don't give up. Don't stop meeting together. And so much more as you see the day approaching. What day approaching? The coming of Christ. That as the day of Christ, as the day of the return of Jesus comes nearer, we are never supposed to lean away, but we're always supposed to lean in. We're always supposed to lean in to the, get the local gathering of the believers. He says, and this was a church in Hebrews, that the, actually Hebrews was multiple churches, but the believers were, were, some of them were starting to fall away. And he encourages them, don't stop assembling. There's something, there's something powerful simply about the assembly. Simply about the assembly. Sometimes people think, well, it doesn't matter if I'm there for that, or it doesn't matter if I miss this, or I don't attend that. But the fact is, the fact is, if you are missing, then the body is not complete in that gathering. Now, obviously, there's, there's a, a limit to the application. There are legitimate absences and things like that. We're not talking about that. More, we're talking about an attitude or spirit or the desire. So back now to Ephesians chapter 2, you would find this. There's a few things that are uh, put out here. I want to go down to, we don't have time because I kind of went off of the handout, but I want to talk about the descriptions here. So if you look at the middle of your back page, you'll see the church described. And there's a few metaphors that are given that I think we all find very helpful in understanding what the church is to be. So, Ephesians, chapter number 2, and verse number 19. We already read this. Fellow citizens with the saints of the household of God. Now skip down to verse number 21. In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. It's a building. It's a building that is being constructed block by block, brick by brick. This is one of those 
passages, I think, that would apply. It can't just be limited to the local church. It must extend to all of the faithful believers because the holy temple of the Lord is going to be a magnificent thing. And we, as a local church, are supposed to be a representation of that, of the building, of the construction of the local, of the, the ultimate building of Christ. So it's described as a building. If you skip down, for me, it's just down a little bit lower on the page. You look at chapter 3 and verse number 15, this next description is of a family. He says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Come together not only as the building of God, but as the family of God. As the family of God. Interesting. Now again, family of God, I believe, encompasses all believers. Right? But there's a local representation in the local church. As you look at, as you look at the, the family of God, and you think of the church as a family, compare it to human families. What is God's intention for the human family? What are some of God's intentions for the human family? Procreation. Yeah, procreation. That's interesting. We do procreate as believers in the, in the spiritual sense, seeing new people come into the family of God. What other purposes of the, of the family, the, 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 the natural human family that God has given? Nurturing, growth, and discipleship. What else? Permanency. Um, yeah, provision for needs. That's, that's a really good point, actually. Because we have, a, we have an opportunity um, as a local church to care for the needs of one another. And I've seen that done personally. I've seen people personally care for the needs of one another. But I've also, and the church has also been able to take from the collective funds and help the needs of individual people, which is, which is a purpose. Provision is a purpose. What else? So, I would say commitment, right? Commitment. The Bible has no, the, 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 God gives no indication, and in in we live in a fallen world, so this happens, but in the scriptures, families are not to come apart, right? They're not to. The local church needs to endeavor to keep that kind of unity. It's not always easy, right? It's not always the easiest thing in the world. But when, when the worldly solution, when a family is not functioning properly. What is the world's solution? Separate. God's solution is you work out. You honor that commitment. Now, in the local church, it's no different. We endeavor, we read it in chapter 4, we endeavor to keep the unity. Now, thinking of that, no one, you know, your, our membership to the local church is part of the calling, the vocation that God has given us. It gets a little difficult in the 21st century. If you lived in the days of, if you lived in the days of um, uh, the New Testament, there was there was like one church you could go to, right? That was it. You got the one, and that's where you go. We live in a day with endless choice and possibility and all that. 
And there are actually multiple good churches for people to choose from nowadays, right? But at the core of that decision, obviously, sound doctrine needs to be first and foremost. But then the commitment to unity. Where is a body of believers that I can commit to? Where at the, at, that I'm not going to give up on? Where is that? And then be committed to it. It's not like, and we've not dealt with this a lot over the years. I'm thankful for that. But I have known, I have known of, of Christians that they change churches as if they have a new taste in restaurant, right? Now, I've also known people to leave for legitimate reasons, and, and, and that's, you know, I, I, I don't stand in judgment. However, it's not something that should be light or flippant because the church is a family. And you can say, well, I can leave this local family and still be connected to the family. Yes, you can, and that's the, the, a beautiful thing. But remember, in our unity as a local body, we are a picture of the unity of the universal body of Christ as well. So it's important. It's a value. Now, also, so a building, a family, and then verses 15 and 16, also the, a body. And we talked a little bit about this already. The church is described as a body where we are strengthening one another, where we are uh, lifting one another up. I think that that's actually a typo in here. Um, yeah, it's actually chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. Speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly, that means properly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. Now here's a, here's a, let's think of this in the positive and the negative, right? So obviously, if my hand is, if my arm isn't working, the body suffers, right? However, at the same time, at the same time, the human body is amazing. If, if part of my body is suffering, what does the rest of the body tend to do? Compensate. Compensate. Strengthen. Make up the gap. Make up the difference. Because never, how many of you are a perfect specimen of health right now? Anybody out there? Stand up, please. <laughs> All right? You say, I am a perfect specimen of health. There is no local church that is a perfect specimen of health. Not a one. However, we still strengthen, support, and encourage one another as the body. And then the, the last de description is, so we've got a building, a family, a body, and then finally, a marriage. A marriage. In Ephesians 5, 21 and 23, 21 and 23, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. So, uh, therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, let the wives be to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his, he that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones." 
For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Christ and the church. So as you draw that Venn diagram, as you put those concentric circles in your life, I'd encourage you to evaluate every part, because all the, the parts that we discussed at the beginning were vital. But also, each of us, let's evaluate the place that our position in the local church has and in the greater body of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word that you've given us. We thank you for the church. We thank you, Lord, for how you lead us and guide us. Please bless our worship service this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're dismissed for a few minutes. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You could also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.